Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's show. This is Liz joining you as usual from Central Virginia in the United States on the unceded ancestral lands of the Monica Nation. And I am really, really glad that you are here with me today. So if you have been a listener of this show for a while, you might have heard me reference how I use and follow a lunar calendar. In fact, one of the very few repeat guests I've had on the show is the wonderful April Miller McMurtry of The Moon Is My Calendar, who I had on for back-to-back episodes because I felt like there was so much to unpack around the way we approach time and what it means to align with lunar rhythms. But the lunar cycle is only one cycle we find in nature. There's a lot more, right? There's the cycle of seasons and the cycle of days that's marked by sunrise and sunset. And then we have the rhythms of our own bodies, which are unique to us. So how do we make sense of all of these rhythms? How do we bring more awareness to them and align our lives with them? And what do we do if we feel like these cycles maybe aren't always in sync with each other? Well, these are active questions that I I'm holding right now and I've been holding for a while. And so I was so excited to get my hands on a wonderful new book that is on exactly this subject. And lucky for us, the author is here with us today. Stella Tomlinson is an author, poet, and priestess sharing soul care for midlife women's self-knowledge and healing. And she's also the author of the new book, Cycles of Belonging, Honoring Ourselves Through the Sacred Cycles of Life, published by Womancraft Publishing in the spring of 2022. Stella's work is suffused with compassion, honesty, and grounded practicality, plus a healthy dose of feminist soul fire. By sharing a healing and empowering sacred feminine spiritual path, she guides women to hear, trust, and act on the callings of their soul. Her offerings are based on over 20 years experience in personal and spiritual healing and development through meditation, yoga, mindfulness, energy healing, and goddess and nature spirituality. And she's been teaching and writing in these fields since 2011. She is joining us today from her home in East Lee in Hampshire in the UK. Stella, thank you so much for being here. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me on to your beautiful podcast. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, then um, you might know how we usually start these conversations. I love, um, you know, and if you've listened to the show, you've heard me say this before, but um, I just find that a lot of times we don't really start off with a background in sacred feminine. So I I love to hear just about people's spiritual backgrounds uh, growing up and what they were exposed to, um, to kind of help us sense how you got to where you are. So I'd love it if you could share some of that with us. Okay, so I guess you could call my background a kind of sort of lazy Church of England. <laughs> in that, <laughs> so I grew up in the late seventies, early eighties. That's when I was born. Born in the mid seventies. So at that time, I think a lot of people from my area, my background, you just kind of went to church on a Sunday because that's what you did. Um, and I know that was certainly the case for, for my family. So I used to go to Sunday school and um, Sunday church surface, uh, service once a week. And that was it, really. There was no 
kind of really great connection to religion or spirituality in my house, in my home, in my family. Um, so it was just a kind of like sort of keeping up with the Joneses, which is a very British thing to do. <laughs> you <laughs> went to church because you were supposed to go to church, but we won't really talk about anything too kind of controversial about religion <laughs> because we're English. So uh, so this is certainly how things were, I think, when I was, when I was young. Um, so that was the kind of background. I mean, as I say, there's no particular strong connection to um, religion or spirituality in my family. I know that I think my dad's side, there might have been a little bit of um, Methodism, which was seen as a very, very out, you know, odd thing, odd thing to have in your family kind of thing when I was, when I was young, so it's a non-conformist. Is that really um, different from the Church of England? Not massively. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know the full details, but I think because obviously my experience is all about sort of doing what everybody else did. Yes. So if somebody was a bit different in terms of, I, I don't know a huge amount about Methodism actually. Um, it's non-conformist, I think. But um, yeah, so that was just seen as a bit like, oh, okay then. Um, but I guess my, my own personal experience with this was at a quite a young age, even though it's a very kind of, as I said, I can't think of a better word about lazy kind of Christianity. We didn't, you know, I kind of rebelled against it quite young. Um, I was about eight or nine and I suddenly just stopped, refused. I, I refused to go to Sunday school anymore. And I remember, it sounds really precocious, but I do really remember having the thought, quite a young age, eight or nine, that I don't believe in this, this God, Christian God that was being fed to me. Jesus sounded quite like a, like a nice chap, and I'm sure he existed, but I, don't, I, I can't be doing with this God. Um, <laughs> very precocious of me. I'm probably told all in sundry who would listen to me as well. Um, so I just stopped. I just refused to, to continue to go to, to uh, Sunday school, and my parents kind of just realised that if I was going to dig my heels in, it wasn't going to happen. So that kind of went by the wayside. And, and at this point, I was at the Church of England primary school, so that's sort of age 7 to 12 I was there. And, I remember there kind of sometimes refusing to say the Lord's Prayer in assembly in the morning and that kind of stuff. So there's something within me. I like to think there was that little feminist fire within me when I was quite young that was just didn't like the feeling of this bearded figure in the sky telling me I was bad and, yeah. and wrong and judging. And so I decided, like, no, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> but um so yeah so that was you know the, my origins I guess is this sort of just a kind of vague presence of being vaguely Christian but yeah I do remember having kind of conversations with my family sometimes about religion not that I really wanted to talk about it and I think perhaps if push come to shove they might say that maybe they did believe in God but um but they didn't really want to talk about it much so uh, <laughs> so yeah that's that was the, the origins but um but then as a young as a child I was very much um, enchanted by by nature, by um, uh, flowers. My nan had a rose garden and a vegetable garden, and I used to spend hours just roaming around that. And uh, I was very much into into astronomy. My name is Stella, so uh, I mean star. <laughs> so I think yes. something le led to that connection. But um, it wasn't overtly spiritual back then. And I think I became very much uh, maybe during my teens and twenties. I would call myself an atheist. I don't believe I don't believe in you know in God. It was very much a rejection of the Christian God that had been kind of fed to me. But um, and I didn't really kind of that was my how I considered myself for many many years. And 
I guess things started to change and I, I first discovered or started practicing yoga when I was about 25. I didn't go into it for any spiritual connection. It was initially, it was, it was uh, to do with relaxation really. But um, I guess things started to change as I practiced yoga for many, many years. But I do remember a particularly spirit, overtly really was a spiritual experience on a yoga retreat aged about 30 or 31 or so, where our teacher asked us to go outside and to connect with a, tr a tree or a flower and see if you can sense it looking back at you. Because <laughs> we're so used to the, you know, seeing nature as an object. Can you know, really, she was asking us, can you experience nature as a subject? I remember gazing at this, these leaves on a tree, which I, I don't remember the type of tree it was now, but I had this sudden shift. I could, I could feel them looking back at me and it's like, whoa, and it's a real beautiful sense of just a paradigm shift in how I was experiencing the nature, the world around me. I actually felt their aliveness in a completely mm. different way. And I do kind of looking back, credit that with maybe this shift towards this, path towards which led me towards the sacred feminine so yeah and then again and another yoga treat a few years later I had a very deep experience in that similar sitting by a river in the Welsh um, countryside and just feeling almost part of the river flowing past me and I could feel the sun within me and again a beautiful deep experience of connection to to nature, which I didn't have the language then to say this was a sacred feminine or goddess. I just felt it very profoundly. So I guess my spiritual life, inner life, started to shift really when I, not until I was age 40 really, and I, uh, which is seven years ago, and I discovered menstrual cycle awareness. And that really, because that was my opening, my journey into cyclic awareness. And that really led me on my path towards the goddess and the sacred feminine and like sacred cycles of life and nature and reconnecting to them daily on a as a as, a, as an embodied spiritual practice mm. and um but yeah and it was then just so like one little sort of little bookend to that then is that is that i think it was a, so let me think 2017 i felt a really strong call to visit glastonbury again which is just a, it's 90 miles from where i live which in, I suppose in england seems a long way but if you're in the states that's probably nothing but <laughs> that's true that's not that big a deal yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was it's like, oh, 90 miles away oh. um i just felt this really strong call to visit the town and the lands there for the first time in my adult life um because i knew that there was um, a strong movement in recent decades around goddess goddess movement goddess temple there as the first time we drove there i went there with my husband and i could hear these little excited voices within me or around me, I'm not quite sure which, sort of going, she is coming, she is coming, she is coming. And I was like, okay. So um, yeah, and, I, on that, and on that visit, I picked up a leaflet about some priestess training, <laughs> which I'd never crossed my mind before. <laughs> and it kind of all, all um, developed from there, really. So I guess this, this connection with the sacred feminine is just so in recent years, over the last sort of five, seven years, but kind of looking back at that kind of as a child, that deep connection with, with roses and the flowers and butterflies and the stars, it wasn't just an intellectual interest. It, I know it was a really sort of felt sense of, of connection. So I think perhaps there's something seeded there. <laughs> mm -hmm. I went to Glastonbury in 2017 too. Oh, wow. Okay. 
I did. I was there in August of, uh, yes, uh, August of 2017. Uh, I can't remember which time of year I went now, but uh, it was summertime, so who knows? Who knows? Maybe we passed by each other at some (laughs) point. No idea. Um, Oh, I love that. Well, and I was going to ask you too, how the divine feminine or sacred feminine showed up in your life. So I feel like you've, you've, Mm. you've, you've, um, well, I don't know. And do you feel like you've answered that? You, you kind of answered that. Would you would you add yeah. more to that? Or I guess it was. I just add a little bit more to say. Say it started really with this um, very strong awakening to menstrual cycle awareness yeah. and a real kind of it lit a fire within me because there's a lot of experience, a lot of felt, still do justified anger about why I didn't know any of this about my yes. menstrual cycle, how I could tune into it. So. And as I alluded to back when I was quite young, was that little feminist fire in me. So it's always been there. So uh, I guess my my journey through uh, along this path has definitely very much been fueled with a feminism of one of of reclaiming something which feels it has been stolen from so many of us. Yeah. Through the imposition, the whatever whatever word you want to use of of Christianity over last couple of thousands of years so um yeah so it's it's definitely started there and um kind of built from there really yeah but it's just what it speaks that it was like it very much was an awakening it really felt like something uh, a switch flick within me mm-hmm. and it's like I didn't know it but I did know it it's like I knew yes. it in my bones in my womb in my cells but uh, it's like yeah an awakening yes. mm, I know exactly what you mean and it, this is, you know, I've been wanting to ask us this question. I, I wasn't doing this earlier on the show, but it feels important now because I've had several conversations and, and what I'm realizing is that um, language is important to each of us and it's important to each of us in different ways. And so I use the language sacred feminine for reasons that mean something to me. And I recognize that, you know, you might choose different language um so i'm curious would you say sacred feminine divine feminine goddess do you use those interchangeably and what is that what does that mean to you like what are you talking about when you use mm. what, your preferred term or terms yeah that's a really that's a really interesting question which i myself have been feeling into thinking about myself actually in recent sort of months year i guess i think the term i tend to use most is sacred feminine because mm-hmm. divine feminine somehow I can't quite put my finger on why it feels a little bit removed a little bit tending towards the transcendent which is nothing wrong with that but for me yes. sacred feminine is very much about embodiment mm-hmm. and you know as I was sort of sitting in my garden earlier kind of reflecting on these kind of things and you know like how the the christian god i was taught about created nature that's how i was taught for me the goddess the sacred feminine is nature is life yeah it's within all of all of us all living things all beings all existences um so i kind of i suppose i tend to use again i kind of like goddess i do want to reclaim it but i still i i'm aware i've got a little bit of I don't know, strange resistance around it. Now, I don't know if that is because the word God is so strongly masculine. Yeah. And then goddess feels, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going with that. 
I'll just pause that thought. I'm not quite sure I'm going with it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like sacred feminine is what I feel most grounded in. Uh-huh. I suppose with goddess, you can then go into specific goddesses. Yeah. Or can do. Whereas increasingly, it's not about, for me, it's not about a figure or a name. Yeah. It is about uh, mother, mother Earth. There's a very much a strong kind of mother energy for me in um in my connection to the sacred feminine so it's, a, it's becoming more of a feeling I have I mean I, it started out perhaps more as an intellectual pursuit to a certain extent in that you know this fire of wanting to reclaim yes you know, um and it's become yeah more deepening into a kind of nameless feeling and uh and I do have questions for my, my, in my myself about do we need gender to be part of this having said that i think in most places in the world if you say god people think man so we've got a lot of work to do absolutely <laughs> that balance so i don't think we're at a place yet where perhaps these gender ideas are ready to be taken out completely certainly in um, christian countries and all countries with abrahamic religions so uh yeah it is a fa- yeah it's a fascinating subject and it's one it's very much evolving for me yes as my kind of connection deepens yeah yes i i i feel all of that and um agree with you that we're as a friend of mine reflected to me and even when you were talking about um menstrual cycle awareness like we are not we're not done having that conversation by a long shot. I mean, a great yeah. number of us are just beginning to have that mm. conversation. Um, and those of us in our 40s, as yeah. we're nearing the tail end of it, are just beginning <laughs> to have our a conversation around it. So yeah. it's important. And there's uh, uh, this question of, you know, how have we kind of religiously ascribed to a gender binary that's very rigid. Mm. That is a very Mm. rich conversation to have too. And that the fact Mm. that it doesn't work for so many of us. So I know for me, like I, yeah, I'm holding both of those things with you. Like this need to like, you know, really um, understand uh, what the sacred feminine and goddess means to, um, you know, in the language of gender and also outside of the language of gender, mm. both, both. Mm. And I feel like that's where she's always pushing me. Both yeah. And yes. And. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I wonder if at this point, it might, um, just a little reading, just a few words for my book. Cause this kind of, not necessarily about what she means to me, but I think this, this, this longing, this yearning that I think a lot of us are feeling and always call to connect to a different face of, of, yes. the, of, of the, um, of, the divine or the sacred so um yeah i just think yeah, just you kind of just as we're talking this sort of came came to my mind so it's in a section near the beginning called the heroine's journey home and um so it goes like this <laughs> in a world which speaks of god the father and neglects to mention goddess the mother and when our cultural mythologies speak to the hero's journey it's no wonder the heroine feels rather lost sister does your heart feel heavy too Perhaps you too sense the ever-present, yet seemingly unfulfillable yearning to fill a hole in your life, a hole which was not of your own making. Maybe, like I do, you feel a longing, a longing for something lost which you can't quite identify, but you feel it calling nevertheless. There's a beautiful Welsh word for this. I used to live in Wales, and this word is hirraith. 
Hiraith. Apologies to any Welsh speakers, just in case. <laughs> There's no equivalent word in English. It means nostalgia, yearning, longing, a desire for something which feels just out of reach or that perhaps never was. I think this sense of hiraith we feel is the longing to belong as women in our truth and fullness, perhaps as we used to, but certainly haven't these last few thousand years. And that really is my been my journey into this yearning, this longing for mm -hmm. something which is true to my body, to my soul, to to my my gender, to not just see everything as you know masculine, God the Father, the Son, and everything being something which I just didn't identify with. Yeah, and could often seem quite cruel and a lot of a lot of violence and oppression has been done as we know in the name of Christianity yeah and I just felt that I mean I long felt that sort of pain of that I think and there's this yearning there's some surely there's something more than this uh, yes yeah. yes and those there I feel like there are words that I didn't understand the depth of until I got on this path and that word longing yearning those words are definitely some of them <clears throat> bereft that feels like such a dramatic word that i would read in a book you know like an old-fashioned book i've bereft but naming that absence like it it it's it for me was a sense of bereftness like cultural mm. or spiritual bereftness and so yeah i feel that very much um that passage and that word and i could not even attempt to speak it i cannot <laughs> That whole rolling R's thing was not good to me in this <laughs> lifetime. So, but then I, I, I guess I want to ask you too. Well, so then if, so there's the word longing and then the antidote perhaps is belonging, right? Like belonging mm. to, to something, to somewhere. And so, you know, right away, I loved just the title of your book, this idea of cycles of belonging. And I, I wonder if you could speak to that, that the way Right, because we see cycles in nature, but to put it together with the the concept of belonging and it being the the cure to this sense of emptiness and absence, I think is is quite beautiful. So I wonder if you could speak to how that came to you and sort of the impetus of the book. I guess the title came because that's that yearning to belong, as I've just spoken to, I guess a little to a certain extent, has long long been within me and. But also the sensation of having felt I'd come home as soon as I, well, I read a book. It happened to be just a book about Wicca. I don't say I necessarily follow a Wiccan path, but I happened to buy a book about Wicca in 2015. Uh, so a lot happened magically when I was born. at the age of 40, lots of shifts happened. And I remember reading about the Wheel of the Year in this book, and particularly about Samhain. And I just had this real visceral feeling of coming home of yes i remember this yes this is seems so natural so i think that's where the belonging of the title came to me because that was my experience as there's something just sort of shifting like settling grounding like, oh yes this makes sense and not, not in an intellectual way this feels right more mm. would be more accurate to say and i and as i have as I kind of say, I started connecting to my menstrual cycle. Then I, 
I guess relatively quickly was becoming more, more attuned and aware of the lunar cycle. And at the same time, I was reading about and then doing my little sort of subtle ways of honouring the weed of the year. And it, it, for me, it feels like being held mm. by, in, in, I say invisible, it's not invisible, because obviously you can see the moon, you can see, <laughs> you can see the, the changing of the seasons, but it's feeling like being held by an energy which is greater than me. And no matter what difficulties and challenges I'm going through in my life, this holding of the ever spiraling cycles whether it's within me and my body or, or you know, outside with the seasons and the moon, it's a real healing feeling, a really nurturing, for me, a really nurturing, holding feeling, a feeling actually safely held in this, that no matter what's going on in the kind of chaos and mess of my own life, and particularly between my ears and my mind, <laughs> that I can tune into this greater energy that is, offering me the truth of life that life is change that if you're no matter how low you're feeling now no matter how wintry my inner world feels that it will change because that's what the cycles do mm. so it's a real sense of holding mm-hmm. and a kind of and in that sense a reminder that well actually I'm not separate from nature you know I am made we all are made from, you know, the explosions of stars billions of, of years ago. You know, we are the actual, you know, what's in our bones, you know, we're made from exploding stars and we're made and nurtured, nourished from the food that we eat. So there is no separation between nature out there and, and, and my body. So again, it's that sense of belonging as well. So actually, no matter that my religion of birth told me that, God has dominion over, you know, and human beings have dominion over um, all other creatures. Actually, no, we are all in this web together, coexisting on this animate, enchanting, mystical earth. And um, it's just finally profoundly comforting mm. to, uh, to tap into that. I love that. Yes. And I, I was, that's funny that I'm, I'm kind of a visual person person although that doesn't translate to art like I'm, I'm better with words when putting something coming out, you know out of me but I tend to see things um visually and as I was reading your book and even just listening to you talk I keep feeling into this idea of nesting dolls or um but they're circular there's like some sort of or like you know how you were if you were to cut open um like if you were to see a, a model of the earth or something and like then they slice away and you see like all the different layers of earth within mm-hmm. it, you know, like the different, I, I kind of am seeing something like that with these cycles where the cycles sort of nest within each other and then are all part of this whole. And then um, us as human beings being held, they're like encompassed by this mm. whole whole thing so somewhere the person is in the nesting dolls I need to try and draw this or I don't know (laughs) it won't look anything like what I'm seeing in my head but um but yeah it just I it does feel very I I like I again we're we're talking about felt sense a lot here Mm. I I feel already and I I feel that I feel that sense of being held when I think about you know these cycles kind of wrapping around us and it Mm. does feel like oh I'm where I need to be and have been all along I just it just was cut off from it just cut off from it absolutely that even you know 
that web of life still exists, even though um, humanity in many, many places, not of course everywhere, but try to, try to snap and tangle and mess them up, but they, they still exist. <laughs> yes. So tell us about some of these cycles that you um, speak about and you write about so, so beautifully. So I kind of go from like the very, one of the very shortest cycles, I guess, which is the breath. And I go through from there to the daily cycle, the menstrual cycle, the lunar cycle, the seasonal cycle, and then a sort of a larger arc of the of life cycle of kind of archetypes. But within all of those, within all of those cycles is the same principle, which, which we see in the seasons, which we see to the moon, which is of rebirth, birth, rebirth energy, of, of growth, of fullness, and then the inevitable fading, release, death, which is needed so the rebirth can happen. And that is present through all of these cycles. So even with your breath, with the inhale, you're breathing in, expanding into, breathing into spring, expanding into summer, you're letting go like autumn and there's a sort of maybe a pause at the end of the exhale, which is like winter, a kind of little mini death almost of the breath before the rebirth comes. And we see that with the day, the day and night, day and night. That's an obvious you know, cycle which we experience as well. That same goes through the same energies. The menstrual cycle goes through the same energies of yeah. rebirth, of pre-ovulation, summer ovulation, autumn or fall. Um the premenstruum and the winter of, of menstruation. We see that in the moon, with the new moon, waxing moon, full moon, waning moon, dark moon, which often gets overlooked. <laughs> and then yeah. the new moon comes again. Obviously, we see that spring, summer, autumn, winter. And then we have these other, as I say, these other, this arc of the life cycles, which when we kind of, when I look at them in terms of connection to the cycles of it's, it's maiden, lover, mother, queen, and crone. But we can see you know, it's, it's the same cycle being expressed in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking as you were speaking too, that it really is up, up to us how we whether we view these as cycles or we view these as beginnings and endings. And I, I feel like our culture is really oriented towards a linear worldview. Mm. So you could say I inhaled and then I exhaled that breath is done. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you could, or this day yeah. is done. Like I, yeah. I got up today and I went to bed. This day is done. This year is done. Mm. Right. January to December, this year's over kaput. This life is done, you know, mm. born and died. And we're talking about the exact same thing, except recognizing, you know, <laughs> yeah. that th there's not really an ending. I don't know. I just find that right. fascinating that, that like mm. the, the wisdom is like right there. It's just, it's all in the, the interpretation and the, the way in which you bring your awareness and attention to what's happening. Absolutely. I and mean, there's kind of two things there. One of which is paying attention. This is really a kind of embodied form of mindfulness, bodyfulness, yes. whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, it's, it's paying attention to what is around you. Yeah. But it's interesting that, yeah, that kind of, you can look at this in a linear way. But when you're looking at it in a linear way, because this day's done, this cycle's done, it's almost like you're not learning from it. You're just going, okay, done, next, what's next? Yes. Which is very much a kind of industrial growth, perpetual growth kind of society attitude, isn't it? We just, you know, we just keep on going, marching forwards, progress, progress. 
but with this cyclic point of view, it's that you kind of spiral in and you spiral out. And each time on each spiral you're, is, is the same yet different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, each menstrual cycle can feel a little bit different. Each seasonal cycle can feel a little bit, little bit different. You're, it's recognizing that while growth is happening, yes, it's not a, you know, it's, there is a kind of overarching perhaps arc to put obviously our lives as human yeah. beings. But if, yeah, if you're thinking about it cyclically, like a spiral, perhaps you're more likely to appreciate the lessons along the way and to, and to recognize, yeah, that, you know, particularly if you're in a more challenging place, that, as I already said, that it, it won't stay like that forever because that is the law of the mm-hmm. nature of the cycles of life. And that perhaps if we're in that linear mindset that's when we can get stuck yes because <laughs> we don't appreciate that actually there is a kind of natural m- momentum to life in terms of the cycles yeah <laughs> yeah it's making me think like the whole field of therapy <laughs> you know it is i think in some ways not well that's not fair because i bet there's lots of therapists listening to this and i in no way want to demean that <laughs> job but i was thinking about how uh, so many of us need help um, because we were sort of taught like that thing is over. You should be over that, you know, like oh, that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was in your past. Like, that's not important. That was way back then. It's all over now. <laughs> right. That way, no. <laughs> right. And then we all hit midlife and we're sorting out things that happened in childhood and or traumatic oh, yeah. relationships that we thought were long past. Right. That but of has course, been my journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. And of course, nothing's really done. And thinking about the kind of the archetype, the maiden, which is the kind of spring energy, she, in terms of our lived experience, that maiden archetype, that inner child, is with us throughout our whole life. Our lived experience is is there. Now we know she can come, that energy can come forward when we're in pre-ovulation, in spring, maybe the new moon, on a kind of archetypal energy but in terms of our lived experience she she stays there so I can talk about the crone energy but I haven't lived it yet so I can, yes. I, can I can connect to that on one level but it's not the same as the maiden energy who you know she's very much still within me well yes and I wanted to ask about that too because I would imagine that a lot of uh, listeners have at least heard of this idea of maiden mother crone and I uh, appreciated that you point out in your book that this is a modern this is a more modern interpretation there's definitely triple goddesses that exist in our past but the idea of maiden mother crone um is definitely more more modern um but i i also and so maybe you can speak to that but i'd also love for you to just talk a little bit about the reframe from the triple to the the five stages too because um i really like that and i thought that it, it you know it feels more um accurate i think to like yeah experience. yeah I mean, it's interesting around i haven't know in the past i've kind of constantly asserted oh yes the triple goddess was celtic and all this, but actually scratching the surface a bit more and i think it was introduced by robert graves in his book the white goddess i think it's the white goddess yeah yeah the white goddess yeah so it's 20th century kind of really thing but she's she, she, nothing wrong with that it's just i think i think sometimes those of us who are in kind of goddess and nature spirituality in our yearning to reclaim what was stolen maybe in terms of our i mean obviously when I, I talk about indigenous spiritual traditions i'm talking from um an english british point of view so i get it also i know it's different if you're if you're living on on lands which are 
unseeded kind of um, those kind of issues. But um, so so we can sometimes wish that we have discovered you know, something which perhaps is something which is absolutely more recent. If you almost suppose what I'm yes. kind of saying, and, and, I, and yes. I understand why that happens. So I think with the triple goddess, perhaps in terms of her being maiden mother crone, I think I think it's more a modern. Um, um arising i think but uh, but it's but it's a beautiful concept it's a beautiful concept but so the reason i talk about five stages i guess it's to do with my training and my background so i trained my priestess training was um with um priestess marianne rogantia who is based in glastonbury now the is also the glastonbury goddess temple and their movement i think they talked talked about four four faces so um maiden lover mother and crone but i think and then it's not just my teacher marrying because i know this is spoken about elsewhere but then this queen this extra kind of archetype between mother and crone is is then coming in and she and she called it queen and, and that really resonated with me so that's why i talk about the queen queen in the book but on a very practical level we live longer than we used to yes <laughs> you know so I am in perimenopause, so I'm shifting, definitely shifting out of that mother energy, but I don't feel like the crone energy is present yet. So there's some, definitely something there, I think, when you're in your late mid to late 40s and 50s. So we could say, some people say enchantress, um, but I just adopted a, the term queen because that's something I was taught, but also because it resonated with me. So, so the five faces then are maiden, lover, mother, queen and crone which I guess speaks to a little bit more of um, a little bit more expanded than just simply being maiden, mother and crone. I'm not saying that those are the only five archetypes that we can, <laughs> that we can connect to or embody. Yeah. There are lots more. But what I also quite like about that five is it maps to the moon quite well, because then you have your new moon of maiden, the waxing moon of lover, full moon of mother, waning moon of queen, and then the dark moon of the crone. Mm -hmm. so I quite like quite like I quite like that so uh yeah it's mm. something I, I love the arch the archetype I mean the archetypal kind of faces of the goddess you can sort of connect to them as archetypal energies as you know existing outside of time outside of culture but also I do rather my own personal practice and, and journey is actually invoking them within me as energies which can help to support me on my healing journey and Particularly as I've done a lot of inner child work and working with the kind of wounded aspect of the maiden and has required me to really kind of con make a deeper contact with the mother energies, which was quite difficult for, for me at first because of my mm. experience of a childhood. But um, it's been deeply healing. Mm -hmm. I do like to invoke a bit of queen energy when I want to feel present, present and, and, and focused. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, one thing that's interesting, too, when I think about those different I was Think about this this morning and um how it, at least in concept you think of um well, maybe not I, I was thinking about if we are defining ourselves in relationship to others and with others archetypally versus the independence so when maiden and lover are tied together as maiden it is sort of i feel like the assumption of relationship is underneath it do you know what i mean like um mm like uh 
maiden is it maiden because uh you know in a very patriarchal way we want her to become mother you know what i mean yeah. and so it's it's she's defined by her relationship to uh, the male counterpart that she will meet is yet to meet is hoping to attract whatever mm. um mother is uh you know and we can talk about that uh, metaphorically like right the mother of all the creations that you bring forth but also there's mother you know like motherhood like i'm a mother of mm -hmm. two human beings um mm -hmm. and that is very much defined by my relationship to other people um however queen to me feels and crone feel more defined in relationship to oneself and mm -hmm. so i was thinking about that first of all wondering if that feels true for others you know like i mean in some ways i would say that has been my life's journey very much defined by relationships with others and then the older i get there's an opportunity to really understand and expand the relationship with self mm. um i don't know I, I'm, I'm maybe i'm rambling a little bit how does that land for you yeah it sounds interesting I and mean, i think i have a different experience of the mother energy because i don't have children yeah so i guess so i so it's different because i haven't embodied that in terms of physically giving birth to a child yeah. it has obviously very very different feel experience lived experience than than somebody who has of course so but yes. yeah, and I do, I do get, I do, I do get what, you, what, what you're saying there, though, because and even actually with lover, because for lover, the lover aspect for me is not about she's a lover with of somebody else. She's a lover of life, and she's a lover mm. of herself. Yeah, it's very much a woman unto herself kind of energy that I feel with a lover, um, and it's love of all existences. It's that, it's that sense of love. So again, it is her herself. So it's interesting, really. I suppose yeah, because you go from maiden, which is the same, maybe in relationship to others lover which to me does feel very independent and uh i don't know uh, i say a lover of life rather than a lover yeah. of somebody else but yeah and the mother is a uh, potentially one which is about relationship to others but but I, but it's true but when we're queen though we queen being associated with the midlife time and the midlife rite of passage of perimenopause for those of us who will be or have experienced it it is a time i this is what i'm where i am myself and there is very much a t um an energy of that's it clear boundaries i'm not putting up with this anymore yes <laughs> this toxic relationship i've put up with the last 45 years this isn't working for me anymore and it's not going to carry on as it is so there is i think there is um a very strong energy which can arise around this time maybe kind of mid 40s onwards which can feel very disruptive to those around us, I guess. It can be a bit scary. And it can be a bit scary for yourself, actually, because you know, women tend to be socialized to be pleasing, to not rock the boat, yeah. to be the enabler and the nurturer in their family. So to then have this real kind of I know I'm not alone because I've got many friends, you know, my age. A lot of us have, in different ways felt this like fire go, I'm not pulling up with this anymore. <laughs> yes and you become it is the invitation to become queen of your realm to be sovereign of your realm and to to identify and name and to um implement your boundaries to really get to know yourself on a deeper level and to live from that kind of truth rather than say if you have been you know are a biological mother like that the whole child child rearing years of, of looking after others and um 
it's this invitation, I guess, the queen years, the queen archetype is to step into your the personal power. And these mm-hmm. words can get a bit cliched, but it is a sense of kind of real rooted groundedness. Yeah. Well, I love how you reframe the idea of lover. I was just thinking, you know, going back to um, the, you know, what we were just saying earlier that it kind of, de- it depends on your, um, your lens and your awareness, right? Like you could, you could look at these concepts in terms of um, like a patriarchal worldview, which would say you woman are defined by your relationship to other people. That's just who you mm. are. Right. Which is a very stereotypical, like just conditioned mm. kind of thing, or you can see them through a different lens. And I'm actually, I'd love to hear like, how does the mother energy feel like? Cause I, I have to imagine there's plenty of listeners who do not have children. So what, how does that mother archetype kind of play out for you? And has, has it played out for you? So it's, played out for me really in in a recognition that I need to mother myself in terms of so it's about a self-mothering now I know that I'm that from my own personal experience this is because I of my experience of the mothering I received when I was younger um there's a kind of whole show you know whole whole story of intergenerational trauma down my maternal line for the last sort of 150 years or so and, and yeah. unhealed trauma and uh, and so that's you know playing out in my experience of, of of the mothering I received so from and I think actually that is perhaps more common than is often spoke about I know you had Bethany Webster on your on the podcast in the past yes. about that mother wound and yes. you know in different way different levels different ways it's it's more common than perhaps we might realize it, um, because it's a bit of a taboo still yeah. to, to, to question that question the mother we received so so my my journey with the mother has been I'm looking at the wall because I said I'm, I'm facing the direction because in my temple office I'm in I've got all the different directions with different energies of Bridget and goddess and the elements and I'm actually mm. facing the mother direction here so I've got <laughs> I've got a picture above the computer of a kind of mother goddess of the lady of Avalon coming mm-hmm. in the form and it's been quite a bumpy journey to actually for me to to feel safe with that mothering energy just because of the experience of of my own of my own life but just going back to how I started it's helped me to connect to nurturing myself and soothing and calming those young parts of me who who often have felt unsafe and seen and validated so it's been very much a deeply personal journey with the with a mother archetype. Mm-hmm. And yet I find myself increasingly now, my experience of her, of the sacred feminine, is kind of the ancient mother. This is what I really feel. And I, I trained to be a priestess of Bridget, and I have a beautiful connection with Bridget and a love for her. But increasingly... It's the mother, the mother of us all, the ancient mother, Mother Earth, is how I find what, um, a deep connection and reverence to uh, the sacred feminine. Mm. So it's, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been an interesting journey with the archetype and mm-hmm. ongoing, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Well, and an, another question that I had for you was, um, well, I guess a couple of questions. So in going back and thinking about the cycles, uh, do you find personally, as your book, you know, lays out these different cycles. And I'm curious if you found certain cycles 
easier to naturally connect with and fall into and see where you fit within them? Are there some that you're like, ah, like a, on an average day, like I can tune into this cycle and this rhythm very easily versus others that um, are more challenging for you or are uh, take a little bit more work to bring your presence around? Or do they all just feel like, are you just, you know, kind of in the middle of that nesting doll, you know, with everything around you? <laughs> I guess I feel like that nesting doll, I guess, to a certain extent, really, because really mm. for, for quite a few, well, for many years now, I've on most days, well, certainly every day I have an awareness where I am in the different cycles. And on most mornings, I'll sit in, in this room and um, meditation and just ask myself, what season am I in? For me personally, my menstrual cycle, the lunar cycle, the seasonal cycle, and, and just be with that and sort of feel into it because often they will on a surface level look like they're kind of fighting against each other <laughs> so for yes. example you know I'm I'm currently day 16 but as I say I'm perimenopausal so I think I'm probably around I, I think yeah I, I've got signs I'm around ovulation time but actually you know we're in May which is summer so that kind of matches but the moon is waning and also overall I'm in perimenopause which is autumn there's all these different layers going on yes but when I come down to it I always come back to how I feel within me so when my menstrual cycle was more regular it was beginning with the menstrual cycle and how do I feel emotionally and physically and I guess for me the, the lunar cycle has been more a sort of sense of spirit soul goddess whispers mm -hmm. kind of thing and then the seasonal cycle is a sort of beautiful connection to going out to my garden, going to the local wood and seeing how that changes and feeling into those energies. So I guess I kind of, yeah, a little bit that, like that Russian doll, I guess. And then mm. you know, quite often they do feel like they you know the different cycles are in different places. I just sort of found my peace with that. I do. Okay. You know, when I first started this, it's like, well, this isn't right. I mean, might in a winter, but it's June out there. So yes, right. well, that was my next yeah. question yeah. for you. Was like, what do you? Yeah, what do you do if you feel like those cycles are con contradictory or are kind of bumping up against each other? How do you move with that? It's interesting because if I'm in my personal inner winter, as in menstruation, it's interesting to notice how it feels in different points of the seasonal cycle. So you could have a you know, if it's actually winter and I'm in my inner winter, I guess there's a deeper sense of dropping into a kind of visionary energy, uh, yeah. a kind of intuitive energy. But even there, you know, if it's, you know, it's summer and I'm in my inner winter, which is, can often be the time we've had a bit more mystical connection, that intuitive connection. It could help me deepen my connection to the overall energy of summer and blooming kind ah. of thing. So... Mm -hmm. I just try to, I guess, surf it that way or weave them together. Just so what are the, what's the feeling? What are the prevailing energies and how, you know, because, you know, to be ovulating, which I think I am now, when and the sun is actually out, which is very unusual for a British summer, <laughs> on a beautiful day when my roses are starting to bloom in my garden and I just really feel like a massive fizz of woo, beautiful energy. Yeah, if I was in seasonal winter, I probably that ovulation kind of outward energy. I would probably appreciate the beauty of the cocooning of the grey sky and and the chance to slow down that the winter offers us. So it's, you know you can weave, you can weave, and I, and I do wonder that if 
we in in struggling with cycles um not being in you know in sync with each other is our patriarchal conditioning <laughs> coming yes. to the surface this yes. should all be neat this should be neat yes it all be you know rational and we should be able to see the patterns in it and it should all be very like you know rather than the messy reality <laughs> and i just and it's been a journey which i'm still on it's just to actually just surrender to that that it's all it's all a mystery it's all a huge beautiful mystery isn't it being yes. a human life the divine whatever you want to call it it's just good being with the mystery the messy mysteries of life <laughs> yes oh thank you for that reflection too i find that um <laughs> Pat the patriarch. It's uh, my inner perfectionist who I really think is influenced by patriarchy. Pat the patriarch can be strong and uh, <laughs> he absolutely I, I wants you. everything kind of, you know, everything needs to make sense and be orderly yeah. and be in alignment. You do this, yeah. this, and this will happen and that will happen and it will be neat. <laughs> yes, of course, which is so absurd. Um, oh, I love that perspective. I love that perspective. I love the idea of just even holding the questions of, um, where am I right now? Like, where am I in my menstrual cycle? What is, what is the cycle of my breath looking like right now? Am I, is it, is it up here in my chest? Is it down in my belly? Uh, and where am I, where's, where's the sun right now? And even, you know, like in relation to the day and where's the moon? And uh, yeah, I, I love like holding all of those questions, just as beautiful inquiries. And I would imagine that perhaps, um, it, it, it fluctuates and varies, which one kind of is a larger guide for the day too. Do you find that yeah. to be true? Yes, because if I'm in my premenstrual phase, I shall likely be feeling my emotions and the, should we say, more challenging emotions are very present with me, <laughs> more so yeah. than if I was in, say, pre ovulation and, you know, and, and yeah, feeling a little bit more settled, perhaps. I know. So it's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it definitely changes with, um, you know, and I know a lot of people struggle with, they don't like winter, they struggle with winter. So, you know, they, they, seasonal affective disorder is a, is a thing, you know, so, so I know a lot of people do struggle with the lack of light and the, the low levels of light in, in winter. So, yeah, they definitely do change these energies and how we feel them, the expression of them. But actually just going back to the, the question you just asked about, if there's anything I find a bit more of a challenge, it's yeah. not necessarily a cycle, it's the part of the cycle. And it's winter into spring. Hmm. I always feel a very awkward gear change in terms of my menstrual cycle and the seasonal cycle. It's almost like I want to stay in winter. <laughs> I like the cocooning. I like the dreaminess. Hmm. I like the uh, intuitive visioning kind of mystical kind of feeling I often get in winter and inner winter. And I do know that usually around day four of my cycle, I, I mean, things are a little bit, less clear cut now I'm perimenopausal but often around day four or five of my cycle is a bit of a like a day of wanting to go run out the blocks into into the spring and probably go no I don't want to <laughs> mm -hmm. but that can be to do with your temperament as well of course you know I am an introvert I'm a highly sensitive person you know and you know if you're an extrovert you're probably maybe wanting to rush forward more into the the spring summer energies because perhaps feels a little bit more natural to you as I kind of like the, the autumn and winteriness. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and that's another good point too. It's that I feel like all of these, um, all of these cycles, they're invitations because they're really about how you relate to them. Right. So all of them are invitations to self-study 
And that's, a, you know, a knowing the self, which yeah. is a beautiful thing. And I just want to recognize as well as name the fact that it, you know, not everybody has the same level of opportunity to connect to them. Because if you're yes. having to work shifts at night or, you know, you're in a kind of what place where you live or you're, or you're so you're working patterns where it's, it's and, and stress and pressure in your life, it can be, it can be you know, challenging to... Yes to fully connect particularly with the menstrual cycle you know I'm self-employed so I can literally just stare out the window for a couple of hours on my <laughs> the first day of my menstrual cycle because I can but I absolutely recognize that that is not the reality for many 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 people but, yes um, but we can find and there's um Red School Alexandra Pope and Shani Hugo Wurlitzer who are trailblazers in this field they talk about the one percent shift that you can what one percent can you do to honor the cycles something little teeny tiny we can all find at least one percent to something even if it's just literally naming it yes. this is where i am today i loved that i loved that you put that in your book too i love that reflection mm. thank you um well yes i this is this has been a really rich conversation and i, I wondered if um we're almost out of time here if you would be willing to share a little bit from your book. So there's there's lots of wisdom in here about the cycles, but another thing you put in the book is just a lot of really lovely poetry and blessings. And so I know you and I mm. talked about um, a particular poem. Mm. Um, I wonder if you'd read that for us. Absolutely. So so when I first, just a little wee bit of context, when I first decided I was going along the priestess path, this is sort of autumn 2017, I started with, I can, only, I can only use the word receiving. I started receiving poetry in that I'd be sitting in this room meditating and then the opening words would come and I'd have to grab a pen and paper and write things down. And that's generally how I do write poetry. Um, the other, the kind of prose, the nonfiction, the actual, you know, the body of, the, of this, this book and my other books, I do work more at, but the poetry just seems to come. And this was definitely, this poem I'm going to share, it's called I Am. And it's very much, so yeah, I wrote this in, I think late 2017 early 2018 and it was very much I felt her talking to me you know I was you know early-ish perhaps on my my relationship with her and I felt her telling me telling me talking to me saying this is who I am mm. <laughs> and anyway, so I'll, I'll share these, these words even now I am the wind which blows through leaves I am the power of the sea I am the sunlight shining down I am the earth that's all around. I am in the river's flow. I am above and below. I am the bird which flies so high. I am the blue expanse of sky. I am the roots which burrow down. I am the strong and stable ground. I am the silver of the moon. I am the beauty of flowers blooms. I am the flame which burns so bright. I'm in the dance of firelight. I am the rain that falls to earth. I am there at every birth. I am in every breath you breathe. I am in all that you perceive. I am in every stage of life. I am the soul's midwife. I am here with you now. Feel my kiss upon your brow and know that we shall never part. For I am always in your heart. Mm, lovely, just lovely. Mm. 
That's such thank a beautiful you. way to, to end too. Um, Stella, thank you so much for joining me here today and having this conversation with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for this wonderful podcast. That's you know, so much work and energy into it. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's my pleasure too. And um, thank you to everybody who joined us and listened. Um, uh, Stella, tell us where they can find more about you and your work. Uh, okay, yes, so my website is stellatomlinson.com which is where you can find out more about my books a little bit more about me if you want to um keep in touch if you wish to um i've actually just created a new web page stellatomlinson.com forward slash breathe where there is a breeze through the seasons meditation that you can listen to there's no sign up required it's my gift to the world <laughs> you can just go along there and, and listen to it so um and in terms of social media i kind of i'm on instagram which is stella Tomlinson.priestess. So I'm a little bit of a cycle of not being on there at the moment. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> so I may well, I'm sure I shall maybe put my toes back in the water at some point. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes so uh, thank you. everybody can find that. And yeah, thanks to all of you for listening. And um, you know, as always, if you like the show, you can um you can like it, you can you can like it, give it a five-star review. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. You can tell other people about it. You can subscribe. That's what I'm trying to say. You can subscribe to it. You can do all those things. And until next time, take good care. And I will be with you again soon. Home to Her is hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com, where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the sacred feminine, and you'll also find a link to join the Home to Her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at home to her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you back here soon. 